This is Geek Gab with your hosts, Dornall and me, Daddy Warpig. We are back. Geek Gab for Monday, December 11th, 2023. Dornall, the year is almost over. Isn't it? <clears throat> we made it. I, I... I'm excited for the year being almost over. Why's that? I, I don't, to, 2023's been kind of a, you know, burning dumpster fire as far as years <laughs> go. I'll say. I mean, uh, it's just... It's had its ups and downs. My, my, my ups have been very up. That makes That's true. Sense. You've had you've had a great year. So that's uh for you personally, 2023 is a good year. I've had a really rough year, but it's been picking up the last week or so, and so it looks like 2024 will be a really good year for me. So I'm excited for the next year. That's why I'm I'm looking forward to this year kicking off. <laughs> be like 2023. You know, bye. Have a good time. Go away now. I will uh, not miss it. Do we? Uh, do you have any plans for the upcoming holidays? Um. Well, my family's getting together on on Christmas. Um, and I'm at that point in family get-togethers where my job is to show up <laughs> other people do the planning other people do the food and i just have to wake up and get ready and even other people do the driving at this point because i ride in the carpool so Everybody is just happy that I'm there and I'm, you know, not detained by other negative events again. And you know what I'm talking about. Yep. Because there have been previous uh, events that have detained me from going to family gatherings. So they're just happy that I'm able to be there. Um, so that's it. That that's that's a really nice spot to be in, actually. <laughs> uh, I believe it. I sh I show up. Everybody's happy, and I don't have to worry. Hey, real quick before um, we get to our to our guest, uh, do you want to do you want a pocket review of the monster movie, or or are you going to get a chance to see that over the holidays? I'm not going to get a chance to see the monster movie, but I am watching Monarch. Um, do you remember the like little sequence of Godzilla movies that they've been making? Like Godzilla and King Kong and Godzilla versus King Kong and all in like kind of this shared universe thing. Mm -hmm. They made a 
Apple Plus TV series that's set in the same universe concerning the Monster Hunter agency called Monarch the Legacy of Monsters. Um, and it's running now on Apple TV. They post one uh, episode every like Wednesday or Thursday or something. So I just started watching it this week. I've been catching up with one episode every day. Um, so emphatically does not have King Kong so far. Godzilla was in it for a little, little bit. Um, and I am watching the series. So I will be able to have a review of that. But the movie you saw was made by Tojo and Company, who invented Godzilla and have all the rights to Godzilla. And they made a movie a couple of years ago called Shin Godzilla, um, which was apparently a big hit. And this movie is called Godzilla Minus One. It's set in the same continuity, but it's actually older. It's actually sort of a prequel to Shin Godzilla, from what I understand. Yeah, I don't know about Shin Godzilla, but yeah, it's called Godzilla Minus One. It is... Um... It is set, you know, before Godzilla. It begins before Godzilla actually mutates. Um, <clears throat> it's the it's the story of a uh, kamikaze pilot who uh, obviously didn't do his job, and uh, he encounters Godzilla. And then after the war, uh, Godzilla rises up and does its thing to Tokyo, and uh, the kamikaze pilot and a bunch of other veterans band together to try to defeat Godzilla and, and drive him off. Um, my capsule review is that it is an excellent movie. Go see it. Um, the only the only caveat I would give is that if you're not used to, uh, if you're not familiar with sort of Japanese, the way they emote, uh, the acting might be a little strange to you. Uh, but... Uh, but I promise you, this story is excellent. All right. Um, I I have heard nothing but praise for the movie from every everyone on uh, online movie reviewers. Um, well deserved, uh, best movie of the of the year, right right on time. Uh, outstanding film. Uh, and I don't know how many more episodes of Monarch there is, but I'll deliver my uh, uh, my review of it at the end. It's got, and I, I hate myself already because it's been a rough day sleep-wise, but it's got Snake Plissken in it. Um, and he and his son play the same character like, uh, 
50 years apart. So his son, who was a U.S. agent or the replacement, the fake replacement Captain America in uh, the Winter Soldier and the Falcon Disney series. Uh, and he was also in some other things before Kurt Russell. Is that who Snake Plissken is? Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, and he was also in some other stuff before I knew that he was Kurt Russell's son. Um, he is, uh, he plays the same character as a young man that Kurt Russell plays as an old man. So, although really Kurt Russell himself is quite old now, but he doesn't look it. You can't tell that he's old. He just refuses to look old. And he literally plays Santa Claus in a couple of uh, movies, I, I think on Netflix. Um, and they're pretty good movies. I enjoyed them. But you, you put a big silver hair on him and a big silver beard, and he's supposed to look old, and he just refuses to look old. I don't know how that works. <laughs> Um, he's, he's gifted. So anyways, um, I still have to watch the fifth episode, which is the most recent one to come out. And I'm sure it's going to go to like eight or nine episodes. And when I'm done, uh, I'll, I'll do a review of it. That sounds good. Um, our, uh, our guest has arrived. We, we sent him running to fetch a shield shall we bring him in yeah welcome back to the show uh douglas cole gaming ballistic thank you john thank you jason uh it's been a minute since we've had you on uh it has all. it has at least a year at least uh it's it's like a year an annual or semi-annual thing yeah biannual maybe uh, but uh, I heard you got a Kickstarter. I love catching up with all the stuff you've been doing, uh, so I'm excited to sort of get get down and and hear about what you want to talk about. But first, as you know, on the Geek Ad, we talk about what we want to talk about. So, did you see Godzilla yet? No, I haven't been out to see a movie in in quite a while. Um, trying to think of the last one that I actually saw uh, in the theater. Um, I actually can't remember. Uh, do 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 do. Yeah, it's no, it's like that for a lot of people, huh? Yeah. Um, you know, part of it is, uh, uh, you know, when you know, I'm a, a full-time publisher now. I'm trying to remain so. That's questionable. Um, but you know, my my wife is the you know for twenty some odd years, I was the travel guy and had the big job and blah 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 and uh then in in summer 2020 that changed um uh but my wife has sort of taken my place as as uh the wearer of man pants i suppose i should say um but you know she's the earner and she's doing great and uh 
that lets me take care of the kids and do full-time game publishing. Um, but what that means is that I don't get out a lot because, you know, I'm taking care of my two school-aged children. Um, and, uh, you know, doing the, uh, doing the stuff from my, my office and, you know, <laughs> it's, uh, oh, that's a, that's a great update. I, uh, I love to hear that things are going well for you in a way that lets you do, because I mean, yeah, when we first started talking to you, you were really getting on the, on the ground floor of your publishing business, um, gaming ballistic oh that's gamingballistic.com for anyone who's listening and um and yeah you over the past few years you've done a ton of learning about the industry and, and running the business and everything like that yeah i seem to have figured out uh, every possible mistake that can be made so that's uh hopefully uh <laughs> hopefully useful if I can, uh, uh, you know, it's, the, the economy is real hard right now. And because at the moment I am uh, a purveyor of third party everything, uh, whatever I do is for some other set of core rules. Uh, I, I not entirely joke that I am the most discretionary of discretionary income, because if you have the core rules and you're relatively uh, uh, apt uh, you don't need supplemental material to have fun with role-playing game. It's one of the great things about the hobby. Uh, it makes it a rough business to be in at times um, because I want people to want my stuff. I want people to like my stuff. I'm going to shoot myself in the foot here. Nobody needs my stuff, right? Uh, you People who buy the old school essentials core rules or the TFT core rules or the Dungeon Fantasy role-playing game or GURPS core rules or 5e or my Dragon Heresy book. Oh, so I do sort of have core rules. Um, but uh, anyone who buys those things can then play forever with just that material. Um, and so, you know, when, when times get sticky, uh, then, you know, mm. it gets a little rough. I get it. Well, I mean, I don't need this candy bar that I just had for dessert, but I got it anyway. Right, but and that's the thing is is that what I what I'm hoping for is that I uh, establish uh, enough of a rep for a good quality product uh, that people decide that yes, when they have discretionary income to spend, uh, that they will forego said candy bar and dip into my uh, product pool. Um, but. Uh, you know the uh, over every you know whenever I've done an estimate of okay how many backers or how many whatever for the last oh twelve to I'd say twelve to fifteen or twelve to eighteen months things have come up between twenty and thirty percent lower than what uh, you know when they say past performance is no guarantee of future results they're talking about my last year. Huh. Uh, I I so, hear you. Yeah. Uh, Inflation has hit everybody's income because food and stuff, the essentials have gotten so expensive that it's a lot harder to to sell things. It has nothing to do with the quality of your product or even the interest in your product. People just have less money to to buy things. Yeah, I, I, you know, and you know, obviously, I'm, I'm pro me, but uh, you know, I, I agree with quality. I don't think that I'm doing anything different than uh, 
than I have. I think in some cases I'm getting better than I have. Uh, you know, that's what, what learning is for. Um, and, but in terms of interest and, and people's ability to convert interest into, into sales for me, and, and, and a, it's, been, it's been rough. And, and, and the flip side, you know, it's been rough for me, but, you know, it hasn't been rough for everybody, right? You know, there have been spe some spectacularly successful uh, projects recently um, that show if you've got the goods, people come for it. But it needs to be the right set of goods. And I am still trying to figure out what that means for me. Uh, are you thinking in particular, uh, there's two really big Kickstarters this year, um, Axe and uh, what was the other one? Um, I, I'm drawing a blank because I don't care. Um, uh, well, um, but there was what was that last year? Let me see. Dolman Wood was big. Um, so Axe was big. Uh, Dolman Wood, um, the uh, Gavin's uh, setting turned into RPG for old school essentials. Shadow Dark uh, was huge. 14, oh, that's what I was thinking of. Yeah, like that. Yep. Um, I yeah. never even heard of Dolman Wood or Shadow Dark. Well, you know, I mean, Shatterdark had what? It closed with thirteen thousand backers and and uh, I think over a million dollars. Um, uh, Dolmenwood uh, did, I think that may have did a million, one point three million, ten thousand eight hundred sixty-two backers and one point four million dollars for uh, for Dolmenwood. So, wow. considering I believe Gavin and uh, Kelsey are both one man or one woman shops. Um, uh, they did very well uh, with uh, hitting the market with the right product at the right time. Uh, but no, both of those are role playing games. They're both core rules. Um, and Dolman Wood is is slightly modified old school essentials, so it scratches that OSR uh, niche. Um, uh, Shadow Dark, uh, from what I've seen. I like it quite a bit. It's got some 5e to it. It's got some old school sensibility. It does not have kind of the geometric more, 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 more progression. Uh, there was a, a clever bit of advancement uh, that way that uh, gets you out of the 1,000, 5,000, 10,000, 100,000 gold pieces or whatever that just climbs and climbs and climbs. So I feel like the progression in Shadow Dark is. Uh, a lot more akin to the fantasy trip uh, or, or some aspects of GURPS um, where you're always vulnerable because you don't have that scope creep where hit points go up and up and up or resilience or some sort goes up and up and up. Uh, you can always die. Um, and uh, so Shadow Dark straddles the uh, line between some of the uh, uh, more interesting swift mechanics of, of uh modern game design and then also harkens back to some of the uh, uh, play style of, of earlier games. And having heard Kelsey speak to how she came up with the mechanics and where she went, uh, she is quite learned and has played all the editions and studied them and looked at them and whatever. So this is, was definitely not a case, I feel, where she was just like, oh, I know better than everyone. She knows this stuff because she studied it and she played it and she picked the stuff that she liked and rejected the stuff that she didn't and combined it well into uh, 
uh, a, a nice set. So I, I have nothing but uh, uh, appreciation for uh, her design ethic. And, you know, I saw her talk to Ten Car, and I've seen her. I, I just think she's super cool, right? Everything that I've seen. And, you know, like even when she was trying to figure out how to tame the tiger of the spectacularly successful Kickstarter. Because, you know, I mean, when Steve Jackson Games first did their big Ogre Box set Kickstarter, it was wildly successful and they kept adding stretch goals and they kept doing more and more and more. And I think they finally fulfilled them, but it was years because they bit off more than they can chew uh, with the, oh, and we'll do this and oh, and we'll do this because that was expected of Kickstarter. And when she had the tiger by the tail and was riding it, um, I was on the Shadow Dark uh, Discord server uh, and I was, you know, I'd done, you know, this was her first kick. I mean, she's been in this game for a long time. So even if she was new to crowdfunding, she was not new to game design and all that. But like things like the backer kit interface, which can be arcane. I was like, oh, hey, if you do this or if you send a note to backer kit, they will enable this tool and this will, you know, make this thing that you're trying to do happen much more quickly. And she was super friendly and super accepting of, 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 a little bit of help so it was great you know um gavin has been very supportive of what i'm doing you know he puts my kickstarters in his newsletter um and that kind of reach matters because uh you know mine is limited um if there's one you know i may be a pretty good uh, editor and do okay with uh uh with layout and, and art direction i've got a great art team but i'm seem to be a little worse at marketing than I need to be for a successful uh, business owner. That is See, not an um, every, every lame-o to uh, send me even more spam. Oh my God, this, this last few days has been awful. I can't tell you how many of these stupid, uh, your, Facebook, uh, your Facebook account is about to be suspended for whatever. I've gotten more of those stupid spam emails than I have backers in the damn campaign. Wow. Um, Monty Cook, who's been doing Kickstarters since, uh, like, before anybody, um, his uh, campaigns do uh, about every $200,000, they'll have another kick, uh, have another goal. So yeah. they really seriously um, manage uh, contribu uh, contributions. And so I see Kickstarters doing where people are doing like every $10,000 and then they'll add like, oh, and, and we'll, do a, we'll do a deluxe embossed cover uh, if we get ten thousand more dollars, I'm like, dude, you do not want to do that. Ten thousand dollars is not. I mean, maybe the maybe the money works out that that's actually still a money maker for you. Uh, I don't know, but you yeah, do not so want to. I, I can jump in there on on, on some of that. You know, some 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 of that is um, so so there are critical. Uh, fulcrum points, there are uh, uh, inflection points uh, in a campaign. And one of those is, so I do a lot of my printing, like these uh, books for TFT and whatever. I do a lot of my printing at Mixum for, for various reasons. Um, 
but there's a crossover point um some usually somewhere between 300 and 700 copies uh when it is cheaper to go offset in eastern europe than it is to do print on demand um and once that happens uh as a publisher you get more for less because the marginal cost of each copy at that point uh goes down by quite a bit um it can go down by a factor of five um once you balance out the low setup cost of print on demand with the high per copy cost there's a crossover with the high setup cost of offset and the low marginal cost once those oh sorry again uh once those cross over um it pays to uh go to uh offset if your backers will permit you to take the time to do so because it's months longer uh to to do all of that uh and deliver but usually they're happy to because very frequently it's you know assuming that your book has enough pages to make it worthwhile uh and i know that uh, uh phil reed thinks that the uh, uh the number of pages you need to make a hardcover worthwhile is one um he really likes hardcovers um that's that's not a, a detriment that's not a, a derision of, of phil he really likes hardcovers and he likes to make hardcover books uh which is great but once you flip over to that point uh usually like if i have a, i have a hundred page uh book and i'm like okay i think this is worth a, a hardcover uh once i go to offset it's cheaper to do a sewn binding so it lasts freaking forever and a hardcover it's going to be cheap pretty much cheaper to do it that way than it is to do the print on demand with the uh um uh I'm blanking the the glued cover, uh, uh, not saddle stitch. The other one, and I'm I'm blanking on it, but that's okay. Well, you um, know, I say I, I like my uh, I like my books like I like my women hardcover and on demand. There you go. Um, <laughs> but the thing is, is you can't do that. You can't right? I mean, hard print on demand hardcover will cost you twenty six dollars a book for sewn binding, um, and if your book is thick enough that you're going to put a hardcover on it um you don't want perfect bound because the pages could fall out so you want it sewn and you want that hardcover to last because people are going to be paying all of a sudden 30 40 50 60 bucks for it they want it to be durable they want it to be bulletproof and so you're going to want to sell it and like mixon will sell a hardcover for your print on demand but it will cost you like 25 dollars to do that whereas you know with an offset print run your cost per book including the hardcover is like six bucks um and i'm thinking of one particular page count and page size and blah 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 you know it's all variable but the the point is is is, is that there are points and it's usually not necessarily that many backers or that much money where you can transition to some pretty good production values um uh if you can manage it and part of managing it is handling the freight uh getting it from wherever it is to to the united states and and or any intermediate shipping hubs and you know my experience with that on my big uh dungeon fantasy bestiary was nightmarish um you know if things can go wrong they will in in the freight process um both before and after before during the covid and post pandemic uh immediate post pandemic before the supply chain had settled somewhat uh it was truly nightmare it was awful um it's better than it has been now um i was recently able to send a couple of small packages to the united kingdom for 40 or 50 bucks where before it would cost 100 150 just to get it there um 
and so Brutal. things are starting to, oh it was awful right i mean um but but you know it, it's starting to to you know but you get better at it right um and and the world is starting to get better at, at it as well and so uh anyway so sorry that's a lot of inside baseball on uh on, on some of this stuff but i like talking about the nuts and bolts of of moving things around oh clearly and we're happy what? to oblige i'm just saying uh watching a lot of kickstarters and participating in a lot of uh kickstarters you uh every time you add something it adds another source that you have to get something from and each source has its own complications that's like, correct if you you're, get you're complicating the supply chain absolutely if you get a cloth map you have to find people who can make a cloth map for you and uh, who will do it on time and who will uh, get it to you on time. And if you want to make a set of metal pins of your iconic characters, then you have to right. find another source for those. And if you want to make lead miniatures, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So and, when you yeah. see people who do new um new stretch goals every ten thousand dollars or fifteen thousand dollars i'm just thinking guys i'm sure the math on the money works out on paper but you are adding so much more work you are adding so much more time to it that and, and unknowns uh unknown right. problems yep. that can happen uh, that you're just, you know, a lot of the, uh, a lot of the stretch goals that Monty Cook games, and I'm saying that because, uh, I've been a customer of theirs a long time. And even if I don't buy their products, I kind of watch their Kickstarters because they're really good at it. They right. fulfill on time. Um, they make high quality products. Um, I mean, like the physical product they make is fabulous. So they know where to get stuff sourced from. They've been doing it for a long time. But um, I forgot what I was going to say. Um, but anyways, I just, I watched. Presumably you were going to say that they manage the complexity well. Yeah, they do. They manage the complexity well. And a lot of the... Um, a lot of the stretch goals they have are additional content to rule books or right. additional rule books. And so that is, you know, that isn't, doesn't require a whole new layer of complexity uh, in sourcing. That's just, right. you know, more from the same printer. That's just another book. And so, yeah, there's a lot of setup cost when you're doing a whole new book uh, to get that set up by the printer. But it's also it's not also um, you are still working with the same printer. You're still working with the same you know, process of getting the source files. Created. No, that's right. And, and when I do my printing and stuff, I have done anywhere between, 
I guess there have been a couple times when I've only done one book, but I usually do several. Uh, at, at most, I've done five. Uh, uh, I did that twice, where I did five books at once. Um, and uh, for some other products, I've done one. Um, but uh, yeah, so so you know, hitting the same supplier multiple times, especially in their core competency, is always going to be much less difficult uh, than hitting three or four different. God forbid you need to hit multiple suppliers for one product, right? So if you need someone who's going to do uh, the art and uh, sort of an insert, and then somebody else is going to make the pins and the buttons, and you have to get those combined, right? That could be as many as three people or three uh, businesses. Um, and then you're just waiting for something to break, right? Um, yeah. So yeah, so the number of interfaces is, is, you know, I was an engineer for a long time. You know, the number of your the complexity of your product is based on the number of interfaces, and and that's usually where things go wrong. Um, you know, there's a reason planes have issues on takeoff and landing, and not usually in level flight, right? Um, that's where the most things are changing. That's where the most complexity happens. Um, so so yeah, you know, when I do my stuff, I I will. I haven't yet done um a cloth or rubber mat but i know who i go to because the same people who print my cards um my quick reference cards uh do mats uh, i keep asking them if they're ever going to do cardboard tokens and their their answer is mostly no um <laughs> uh for for various reasons that have to do with the equipment um but uh it's big specialized stuff and and uh um but yeah so you know i can hit if I ever have cause to do a a, a mat, um, I know where I'll go, um, and I frequently have cause to do cards because people like these. Uh, let's see, where's my deck of cards? Oh, I have one right here. Um, you know, I do these uh, quick reference cards for the fantasy. I've done them for GURPS, the fantasy trip, and uh, old school essentials here. Um, and this is a box of um, this one, that one. So you know, got the uh, got a uh, the figure on the back and you know stats on the front uh, with some equipment and whatever. But you know, this is something that you can uh, put down in front of you as you're running a game, so you don't have to flip back and forth from your adventure, sort of thing. And people seem to dig these. Oh, that's so, cool stuff. People love yeah. the toys. People love having stuff that they can touch and push around. And... They do. They do. Um, I've also started to get a little bit into virtual tabletop assets, but because I'm not a code guy, uh, that requires a lot of help from other people, and I have that help in the Dungeon Fantasy role-playing game space. Um, uh, and uh, so I've been able to offer, actually, the first VTT packs uh in that ecosystem steve jackson games hasn't gone that way but i got permission to do it and i have a uh my big uh nordlander bestiary 200 page hardcover uh here um and uh that's the uh monster manual for my homegrown setting for dfrpg uh, but it's also got three small expansion books which add about 120 extra pages of critters um, I think 60 pages on snakes, snake-like organisms like, you know, um, uh, uh, coatl or uh, uh, <laughs> dulcet, uh, see, let me get it right, dulcetum, totally uh, unique snake lord. 
guy. Um, not, not an homage <laughs> at all. Um, and, you know, stuff like that. And then I have the Bugs Gieri, which is, I think, 48 pages of uh, insect and arthropod type creatures. And then uh, Garden of Evil, which is 16 pages of plants, um, almost all of which have literary reference, whether it's uh, Lovecraft or Little Shop of Horrors or uh, uh, Tolkien or, or whatever. Um, so that was an extra. Anyway, we did a, a VTT pack for that as well. Well, that's cool. And, you know, we've uh, we've been talking a bit and we haven't officially introduced the thing that you're working on, um, which sort of put all of this in context, uh, because you've doing you've been doing all this work and all this learning for years and you actually have a new book out on Kickstarter right now. I do. I do. It's um, it's actually um, it launched last Thursday. Uh, so we're about what four days in, eleven to go, or, or thereabouts. Um, we're about eighty-six percent funded. The book, the books, three of them, uh, are called. It's called Old School Setting Isle of Cedra, and um, Cedra is the first uh, sort of public viewing of what you what I call the Infinite Archipelago, um, and what these are going to be. Uh, is a series of small settings, not exactly micro settings, but you know, small settings. Uh, Cedra itself is is uh, I want to say it's like forty or fifty thousand square miles um, as the island, um, but it's it's big enough to hold a lot of adventure, uh, but small enough and contained enough that the game master and the players could travel all over it, doing interesting things and interacting with the different factions. Um, I ran uh a cedra campaign for the fantasy trip um but my experience take it or leave it uh has been that people don't really go for project kickstarters whatever you want to call them um that are uh multi-system system less is different like if you're like oh you could pledge for it in TFT or pledge for it in old school. People don't like that. They get confused and deservedly so. And it's talk about complexity, right? The number of pledges you have to offer to cover two systems is quite a bit more than the number that you have to offer with uh, with just one. Because um, you have product A, product B, and then product A and B. Um, so that right. uh, it, it, for people who play both and who might be interested in supporting both. So I, I, I ran... Uh, TFT Cedra, and it was reasonably successful. Again, it was 20 or 30% lower than I'd hoped. So it it, it did what it did. And and now I've got the uh, old school essentials um, because the fantasy trip and old school essentials are uh, similar enough that it makes an easy step over, but they're actually quite different in in how they... uh, play and feel and so the conversion is is non-trivial because if you have a mid-level um t uh tft you know however many points that is you know the rewards if you have 100 silver here or 200 silver here or a thousand silver here uh those are pretty good regardless because the currency of advancement and um and and uh, getting cool stuff i guess uh is is mostly not 
is mostly linear, right? You know, a thousand bucks is always a thousand bucks, so to speak. Uh, in BXD and D, because you get XP for gold and a geometric progression and experience points between level one and 10, more or less, um, you know, the rewards you get at first level are vastly inferior to the rewards you need um, at eighth level. Um, and so, and the challenges, the way that, you know, um, the sort of attritive nature of, of hit points is up. In any case, long story less long is that they really are two different things um, and they play differently. Um, and, and so I did a, I'm doing a separate campaign for, uh, uh, for the old school essentials uh, bit. Uh, and I wanted to run it before the year ended um, uh, just to get another product. This, this uh, for various reasons that don't need to go into the number of cycles uh, product cycles that I had this year uh, was probably low by a factor of two. I usually try and turn that crank faster, but you know, uh, you were saying earlier how uh, today was one problem after another. Um, that's kind of how the year has been logistically for me. Um, so I really wanted to get another project out there, and so I was I was hoping that the uh, I ran a project uh, uh, for the beginning of of 2023. Uh, called Best Supporting Actors. Um, let's see if it's conveniently on my shelf. It is not. Oh, here it is. Um, so Best Supporting Actors is 172 uh, NPCs that you can run. Um, you can pick to to fill your uh, your adventure if you need a, uh, a hireling fighter or an interesting NPC to interact with or who's in the tavern and and you know, I and here's a here's a great example, right? You know, the the back of the book has all kinds of random tables. You know, uh, who's looking for adventure? Who's staying at the inn? Uh, you're looking for a cell sword for hire. Roll one d12 to figure out who shows up. Uh, who's drinking in the tavern? And they're all tied to the character's uh, backstory, which and backstory, right? You know, you know, I mean, spare me, spare me the failed novelist, right? Each of these characters has a few hundred words, if that of hook to let you know what they like what they hate what they're doing what motivated them to uh sure. to, to adventure um but you know it's not 15 pages of backstory right because who wants to read that uh it's just enough to to make them interesting um and it's a homework saver um and i thought that you know my 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 solo adventures for old school essentials were very well received i had you know, 800 backers. That was a record for me. Um, and I was kind of hoping that the best supporting actors would, would do it. And that was what, 375 or something. So that was really not the product for the time. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, I was saying, okay, well, how about a setting, another solo and an adventure? Uh, and I launched that on Thursday. And maybe it's too close to Christmas. Maybe it's inflation. Maybe it's just once the wrong product, but uh, got off to a bit of a, uh, a slow roll. Um, you know, and, and some of it has been the, uh, you know, a little of, uh, uh, you know, the some of the social media companies that I've been traditionally using to get the word out uh, have started to throttle back on self-promotion, which understandable. Um, but that's one of these things where, you know, if you have someone who's going to say, hey, everyone needs to go check out Doug's stuff, that works. If I go on to somewhere and say, hey, I have this thing that you might like, it's, oh, you're self-promoting your band. Um, which huh. is less fun. Um, Who's doing that? Oh, I got, I got, I, I don't, I, I got kicked out of Reddit RPG for uh, violating their terms. Um, 
you know, one a million people, and then I was like, oh, I figured I was doing something interesting. But in fairness to them, they uh, they have a rule, and I violated it. So because I wasn't posting a lot to that particular group, so it was self promo without giving back. So they uh, warned me once, and I thought that I'd given enough space between uh, posts. Um, and some of this, I'm like, hey, you know, I have my, you know, every couple of weeks in gaming ballistic, what's going on inside an indie studio. Um, and I sort of look at that as inside baseball, like, hey, if you're interested in the industry, this is what it takes to attempt to make it as a as a business rather than as a, as a oh, I wrote a book and, you know, it's just a side gig sort of thing. But I'm trying to make this work for real. Um, but that was considered self-promo, which I get again. Um, but yeah, so it's just one of those things where, uh, uh, you know, the things have become a little more fragmented. Um, and I, th I feel like the uh, part of it is, is honestly, I used to be able to send out like either MailChimp or Constant Contact, you know, some sort of mailing and everyone would see it. I feel like over the last couple of years, people have got, the company has gotten really good at redirecting business mail that I think people might be interested in to spam. Um, you know, and that's a little bit of woe is me, right? But the fact of the matter is if I can't put my product in front of people who want it, they're not going to come buy it. Um, and, and so I feel like I have a reach problem that, uh, that I need to overcome if I'm going to be successful. Well, that's why we're going to give you the geek gab bump. Um, I'm only partially facetious. Uh, actually, we have awesome uh, viewers but like you said you're two-thirds of the way funded i am i am you know i was really i will admit the uh and if and if we fund right that's right the the, the books that's the thing cedra exists and in tft i will do the work if we fund i will do the work to convert it um it will be worthwhile to me it will help me um get some of my next stuff going um what would really help me get my next stuff going is is you know four or five hundred backers would push me uh, it would give me the working capital uh, and the underpinning to simultaneously develop something on the order of four or five different books right out of the gate in parallel rather than sequentially. And when you can do that, it starts to become self-sustaining because one leads into the next, leads into the next rapidly. Um, and as, uh, someone that I worked with, uh, briefly, who was the, uh, chief financial officer of Bell Helicopter was like, this ain't rocket science, boys, margin times turns in this business. Um, so if your margin is mediocre because role-playing games are not exactly, uh, selling software for, for free, right? Mm. Um, uh, right. Because the role, you know, publishing role-playing games is not, uh, uh, a huge margin business. Um, a lot of it has to do with how many times you can leverage your working capital, um, unless you have a break, unless and until you have a breakout success, uh, in which case your working capital is so well established that you really can do it all before it actually hits market. The only thing that you really need for the Kickstarter or crowdfunding is the size of the print run. And that's mostly what uh, people who are established 
and getting thousands of backers in every product is all they're really doing uh, is seeing uh, how big a print run that they need to do because no one wants to carry extra inventory. It's very expensive. Even you know, if you have if you buy it all and do it cash like I do, uh, then you don't want to carry too much inventory because once you do the Kickstarter, this proverbial long tail is not right. It, it's it's that's the way that the industry works these days. Um, unless you're one of the few companies that has core rules that are evergreen and there aren't that many of them um uh and if you're doing you know uh invent if you're you know depreciating inventory um then it, you pay for inventory right there's a carrying cost that you have to pay um so in either case you never want to order so many books like 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 my first uh, you guys you, you, did you guys interview me about dragon heresy my, my yeah. 5e fantasy yes. heartbreaker a long time ago um i have a thousand copies of that still sitting in a warehouse in tennessee oh no <laughs> or something like that well because I, I it was a rookie mistake right it was my first big book uh you know it turned out really well really it's pretty um you know it's level five goes you know here's a cool cover and nice great yeah, production I remember all values and offset print for it yeah a lot of art that i commissioned for it and whatever and and so it's a you know and it plays well it's you know it's 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 D and D, but better. It's a classic fantasy heartbreaker, um, and of course, you know, better is that's always the mission statement of these these fantasy heartbreakers, right? Um, I'm being self-deprecating. I feel like it's a good game and it plays well, but you know, everyone has one, um, and this was mine. And at the time, I wasn't doing this as a business. I was going to be. I'm going to make a big, darn, colorful, awesome, high production value book. Um, actually, originally I was going to do three, uh, player book, uh, DM book, uh, monster book, um, and then, uh, a, an RPG luminary, uh, I was put in contact with an RPG luminary whose name will not be mentioned, um, uh, by, by, uh, Rob Conley, um, of Bat in the Attic, whose name will be mentioned because I love Rob. Um, but he's like, oh, you should talk to this guy because he knows this stuff. And so I talked to this guy and he's like, the guy is like, uh, nobody ever listens to me when I say this, but I'm going to say it anyway. Don't do this. <laughs> you're really you're 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 walking in. You're you're about to 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 stick your hand into a meat grinder, uh, because you have no name. No one knows who you are. Both of these things are true. Um, they may still be true enough, but uh, both of these like nobody really knows who you are. You don't have an established train uh, 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 track record of doing this stuff. And you say you've got 800 pages of material. Great. Nobody's going to believe that you're going to be able to deliver three 250-page books or 275 or whatever. Um, no one is going to believe that you're going to be capable of doing that, even if you are. So this is going to be a catastrophic failure. So don't. Um, and I was like, all right, well, if I'm going to ask an expert a question, I might as well listen to the advice. Um, and that's actually what led to Dungeon Grappling, my, my first Kickstarter. Uh, he's like, well, what do you have in that book that you can take out and prove that you can do it? And I was like, well, I have this and I have this. And one of the thises was actually uh, a modified domain system that Alex had put on the uh, put up and said, oh, this is an alternate rule that didn't get into the book. But, you know, here it is, public domain, open, you know, uh, OGL. And I modified it and used it to help set up my world. And it works great. And he's like, oh, you should do that. I'm like, no, that's that's basically kickstarting somebody else's stuff. That that That's not right. I may use it with his permission, um, but I'm not going to try and kickstart it as its own product. That's lame. Um, or uh, 
uh, sleazy, I guess, would be rather than lame. Um, but I have it. I was like, oh, I have this grappling thing. It's like, oh, well, then do that. And I did that, and and it's really gone on to be probably still my best selling product. Uh, if you take cumulative sales, it's also had the most time at it. So, um, but uh, but dungeon grappling. Come again? Because it's awesome. It it it's good. It it makes it's grappling rules that don't suck. Um, is my is my one sentence pitch. But uh, but in any case, the point was is that led me to condense the books from level one through level twenty three D and D size books to level one through five, which has that um, precarious feel of old school D and D while still doing some of the new mechanics. And there were some other things that I did in the book, but the point was is that I, the Kickstarter went and it funded for the offset print run at the last minute and literally the last minute, the last 15 minutes, someone pledged a thousand dollars to buy two of wow. my shields. Because uh, I had she, I had shields as a reward in the United States, um, and they're like, "Oh, I'll take two shields at five hundred dollars a piece." Um, uh, and so it went from not quite making it to making it. And then, as I was making the "How many books do I buy?" decision, um, I, I made the mistake of marginal cost. I'm like, "Well, the minimum order is a thousand, and that's this much money." But it's so little money to get fifteen hundred instead, and surely I will sell through the extra five hundred. Um, well, <laughs> that didn't happen. Um, Womp. Yeah, so so I still have nine hundred or eight hundred and fifty or a thousand or whatever books sitting in uh, a warehouse in Tennessee, and the only reason they're still there is that I don't have anywhere to put them. <laughs> oh. Um, you know, uh, you know, it's it's a hundred boxes of ten books a piece, um, or thereabouts. And uh, even if I, if even if I wanted to pay to bring them here, uh, I'm not sure where I would stack that many cubic feet of of uh, of, of books. If I ever wind up um, having a little bit of an uptick in my business and I have more inventory, I'll get a storage locker somewhere, fill it with shelves, and then bring them uh, so that I have all of my. Uh, but uh, that was also an experience where the the it's sitting actually at a distributor, and I get a couple of sales periodically from this. Um, but that was a real uh, uh, lesson in in the new model for small. You know, it used to be you had to have a distributor, right? Well, that's just anti the case these days. The only reason you go with a distributor is if you really, really, really don't want to handle all the volume. But it comes at a ferocious price um, because of the, uh, you know, the, the, you've put somebody between you and, and the re retailer even, and the retailer just wants 50% off or 30% off or, or whatever, and then the distributor takes a fraction of that. So you really uh, need to be moving so many that you just can't handle doing it yourself, and that has never really been the case for me. And like you said, I mean, this is this is RPG stuff that you're never going to move tons and tons of stuff. Well, I beg to differ, but you know, um, so so I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah, the plan is to move tons and tons of stuff. I would love to have that problem, um, but the fact of the matter is, I don't. Right? It's just a matter of realism rather than uh, uh, rather than optimism. Um, 
you know, I'd love to move thousands of books. And if I did distribution and, and if I had that kind of volume and were able to maintain it through uh, uh, support materials, then distribution or direct sales or getting somebody else to handle my warehousing and reshipping and stuff would make all the sense in the world. At the moment, it's so much more efficient for me to pick and pack and store my stuff for my Kickstarters. And that's probably true up to three, four, five hundred copies that I'm doing personally. Uh, I had somebody else fulfill my bestiary and almost killed me um, because it, the costs were higher than quoted and, and uh, 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 bad things happened, right? So and that was the, the big freight debacle. So it was one thing after another. Everything was more expensive. But that's the thing is that if you handle it yourself, you know exactly where all your costs are. You're never going to, if you, if you're, doing planning worth the if you're doing your spreadsheet management worth the damn um you'll know where those are and you'll have planned them ahead of time you're gonna like sun tzu says you'll do many calculations in your temple ahead of time uh it's amazing um once again and and even though we go years between this it, it always blows me away how much how little i know about running these things as a business um but what would you say, you know, talking about all the all the big mistakes that you make, um, have you, wrapping up the year here, have you made any mistakes or have you done any learning today? Like, what's 2023 taught you in terms of... Oof, of um, 2023... 2023 has really taught me that I... I really thought that splitting my my aim at, and I still think it's not wrong. Uh, I just think that the year's been rough for everybody. But I started off with an old school essentials project, the best supporting actors. Uh, then I was going to do the project that turned into Isle of Cedra for TFT, but that set of manuscripts got delayed. I was able to pull in a dungeon fantasy role-playing game pair of books my artifacts of legend artifacts of saga books which probably the most gorgeous interiors of any books that i've done uh to date they're awesome the art team just knocked it out of the park uh, but those two i pulled in the manuscript uh because i had had a draft manuscript that uh got set aside for for reasons there were things i wanted to do with it the author didn't want to do the same thing right anyway so so we were like yeah you know we're, we're not going to be able to to meet on this and, and go forward uh but at some point i i, I purchased rights to the original manuscript because i'm like you know i i think there's something there i just don't have time to do it right now but i bought the manuscript i had a hire a collaborator pulled that in when, the, when I saw that the manuscripts for Cedra weren't going to come in on time, I pulled in artifacts, set it up, launched it, ran it, fulfilled it. And then I was still looking to say, okay, now what now? Um, and that became TFT Cedra. But that was a, a bit of a slow roll for various reasons. Um, and so the, the, the real kicker over and over and over again that I find is uh, 
if I, I'm going to outsource manuscripts and stuff, I better have a couple in my pocket to, to in case things move around. So, you know, so I did supporting actors, artifacts, call it Cedra one, Cedra TFT, and now Cedra uh, OSE. And really, I needed at least two more projects in there that were targeted well enough to uh, uh, to make it. Um, you know, the the none of the projects that I ran this year uh, were spectacularly better than kind of the minimum viable backer count, right? Um, none of them helped me self-sustain um and that was that was the rough learning uh, you know saying okay well hopefully this last one was an anomaly i got 375 instead of 550 or i got you know 500 instead of 750 or whatever uh what was artifacts um artifacts was uh yeah 425 right and so for old school essentials in TFT, the minimum viable product is lower because it's black and white. So the art's less expensive, the printing is less expensive. Um, and with artifacts and the Dungeon Fantasy role-playing game stuff, uh, it's color. So everything's a little bit more expensive. Um, and so the minimum viable product where you break even and start generating a surplus of funds that you can either have payroll or turn back into your business as working capital um, is higher. Um, for the color stuff, I think it's between 475 and 550. Um, and, uh, you know, fewer on shorter projects. You know, these, the art, uh, artifacts wound up being, I think, almost 96 pages of content in the end. Um, well, wow. between the two. Uh, you know, originally they were going to be shorter, but you know, I just, I, I have this thing, and and it's not, I, I you know, it, it's always good for the backer, but I'm like, I'm going to let the book be what it needs to be, and um, I usually, you know, it's it's a very price sensitive market, and so I usually try and over deliver a little bit, um, because if you're like, oh, I'm going to price this as what I hope it grows into, people get mad, and probably deservedly so. Um, but, uh, anyway, so the, the biggest thing that, that hit me this year was, uh, uh, boy, you know, it's just really just, if, if I can't, if I, if, if I can't have the milkshake that brings the backers to the yard, uh, and I am the wrong guy to be saying that, um, <laughs> I have, you know, no rhythm whatsoever. Um, but, uh, if I, if I can't bring the audience, um, it doesn't matter what I'm making. Um, and you know i really in order to make color stuff i really need to be pushing five five fifty six hundred uh people uh and for the black and white between four and five hundred and i'm coming up short um and what winds up happening there is not so much that i can't continue although it's close um it's that i can't do any parallel development i can't have the the next thing basically ready while the first thing is being fulfilled sort of thing you know 
Um, and you really mm-hmm. need to look at what Phil Reed does. I mean, I think he's run 462 Kickstarters this year. I don't know. I don't know if you've seen it, but he recently posted some sort of update. And I swear he's done uh, one or two projects per month in 2023. Wow. I, it, you know, a lot of them are small. I mean, he's not making 300 page tomes. But he's he's the special exception that Kickstarter says, how many projects can you run at once? And for Phil, the answer is all of them, Um, because he just boom, 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 boom. And they're all PDF. And he's got a great following and his work is pretty. Right. It's it's got great uh, shelf appeal. Um, And he's got a following that is absolutely interested in in what he's uh, doing. So he's got that thing. And if you're doing um talk about margin times turns right if he alec i don't i have no idea what his business model looks like but if he were to take make 10 percent or 20 percent on a ten thousand dollar working capital right so he turns ten thousand into two thousand in profit well if you turn that crank 24 times Right, you've just if you turn a two thousand dollar profit twenty four times, you've taken ten thousand dollar working capital and made almost fifty grand of it. It's a four hundred percent rate of return, right? Mm-hmm. So if you can just turn it, turn it, turn it, turn it, turn it, you don't need to have a one point four million dollar Kickstarter. You'll want one because <laughs> right. who doesn't? But but you you know if you can if you can cycle, um. Every project still needs to be successful, but it doesn't need to carry writing and then development and then marketing and then art and then whatever. And hopefully that makes it. And if it does OK, but not great, then you do the next one. And that's really the where I where I was. Right. I did. I will have done four projects this year and really I needed to do six to eight. And I had six to eight in my schedule. Right. But but because. You know, I'm like, you know, and it's this thing. Like, so let's take this project that I'm doing right now, right? I've got 107 people, you know, maybe almost like just over $1,100. Like if I get 20 backers, I fund. Okay. So let's say I'm, I'm here on day four or five, right? Let's say that what I had hoped happened happened and I launch with 200 backers, $12,000, I get more than 50% funding. So what do I do immediately when that happens? I get to work. I get to work. There's, it's, it's funded. The money's going to come in, and I get to work. And I do. I just crank as hard as I can, so that the product is ready, basically before the Kickstarter ends. Mm-hmm. And then I do something else as I'm waiting for Kickstarter to fund and do the backer kit and do the other thing. I'm doing something else, and I can. I know what's coming, and so I may be spending. A little bit more than what's in my kitty, but I don't have to worry because I I know what's coming, right? And and as the Kickstarter goes, and me, you know, maybe I get 400 backers, and I'm getting about 60 dollars a pledge here or so, so it's 24 thousand dollars, and I know what to do with that because I have the spreadsheets, and I know, okay, here comes this, and here comes this, and my working capital, if it does this, is going to be this much, and so I can spend that. I can hire artists, or I can contract out. Uh, the companion volume to Cedra, which is Elazar, because so so I've got these solo adventures that I that I did uh, old school solos, which did very very well for me, ridiculously well for me, um, best campaign ever. 
um, for me, uh, both in terms of well, in every metric, right? I was very pleased and gratified that that they did as well as they did. Um, so it was for solo adventures, kind of choose your own style and old school essentials. People liked them. I, they've been reviewed very well, um, and they're fun to play. Um, and uh, where was I going with this? Um, and so, you know, you have a, a, a success like that, and then you want to do more, right? Um, but it, it, it funded, it funded in like an hour, right? And so I immediately was able to get to work. Oh, I know what it was. Uh, those solos, uh, Dragon Hunt and, uh, Vampire Hunter Belladonna are set in Cedra. They actually effectively mapped out the island before David started turning it into a setting, right? Now, there are two others, uh, Dark Lord's nice. Doom and Till Death Do Us Part. Those are set on an island a day or day and a half sail south and, and west of Cedra, which is called Elazar. And, you know, there's there's they interact, uh, but these two solos really set the stage for what Elazar uh, is going to be. If this particular project did really well, I could just and I literally was, I told David I was going to get to it today, but I didn't. Um, uh, this weekend got away from me a little bit. But uh, but anyway, so we've already planned Elazar the setting, a solo adventure sort of to be named later, uh, a supporting adventure, which is already written. Um, and if I knew that I had the working capital to do this, I would contract with him for that i would pay the advance like i pay advance i pay him advances um on on the writing um and he would be he's secure because he's got advances cash in his pocket i'm secure because i know i've got money coming in and i've got three books coming uh or four if i'm like oh things are done really well we should do this too and we schedule them out in the year we know that they're coming um and then i can say that's great that puts these products here and then i can say well what else can i do and I say, well, gee, I am going to, well, I'm writing what's called the Mission X role-playing game, which is a powered by GURPS standalone RPG. I have a contract for that. Um, that was announced in 2020, but my market didn't grow to the point where uh, I thought that it was going to be really sustainable. But I'm, I'm shooting for the moon, and I'm, I'm writing it. It's uh, kind of a, the mi more military parts of Stargate SG-1 meets XCOM 2 uh, meets... Uh, uh, a little bit of uh, Old Man's War by John Scalzi, um, the first book, rather than some of the later ones. The later ones are good books, too, but the first one had a great feel to it. Um, a little bit of Aliens, some bug hunting going on. Um, so so it's that genre of, of, you know, if Dungeon Fantasy role-playing game is go deep into dungeons, uh, kill things and take their stuff, this is sort of, you know, go into the universe and... and meet hostile aliens and get their tech um, for for setting related reasons. But it's going to have its own engine. I'm writing that right now, and, and I could dig into that. But I could also convert my Nordland setting to TFT or old school essentials, right? Um, and I could do that confident that I can get advanced art going. Uh, I could talk to other people and say, hey, I want you to do totally not ancient Egypt or, or totally not... Um, uh, uh, Far East settings, right? I've uh, been talking to a few people about different things. <clears throat> um, 
And the gist of that would be that that is the sort of stuff that you would be able to set up different multiple projects in parallel. Correct. And then, and then yeah. it's like, boom, 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 boom. And that's kind of what happened to me a little bit. Not as much as I wanted to, but it happened a little bit in 2022. Where at any given moment, I was still paying myself some money, not a ton. But at any given moment, almost everything was was reinvested in in development and at the end a bunch of things happened and i ran out of development which is great which was good because then it was like oh this project this project and this project and i get to keep that money Mm -hmm. because i was rolling and rolling and rolling and rolling and i did six or seven or whatever projects in 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 that year uh or six or seven books um maybe fewer projects um but that was it came out in the in at the end and it's like oh look here it is um but that's the kind of thing that having the working capital does for you is that you know i've always got something to release i've always got something uh to to uh excite people i can jump back and forth between markets oh you know here's tft and that doesn't have hardly any overlap with osc maybe it does maybe it doesn't um you know, Dungeon Fantasy role-playing game doesn't overlap with fifth edition much. Um, and so I could go bip, 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 bip. And I'm not raiding the same people's pocketbook twice in a row, um, uh, which is nice for their wallet. Um, but, uh, and, you know, good for sales too, right? You don't want to uh, uh, be like, well, you know, I'd love to support your stuff, but I just supported your stuff. Um, you know, so that's the kind of thing where if you can keep the tr- crank turning, um you know you may need to kind of push the wave ahead of you like a tsunami but it breaks at the end and it's good um this year it was kind of a low ripple because i didn't have enough momentum to get the uh you know really it's like a fission reaction right you get to critical mass and it self-sustains um and that's what i'm all businesses are trying to do is they get to a place where you've got enough customers and enough product that if a couple couple things happen below the waterline, it's fine and you can uh, you can still shift and move and and, and make things happen. I feel you. Um, um, go ahead. Real quick, yeah. I wanted we are moving towards being out of time, so I just wanted to ask, what about the Isle of Cedra would be uh as a setting why would somebody want to add that to their game what is compelling about the isles of cedra as a i'm just asking you to sell it no no that's right it's it's a couple things um first of all it's got uh it's got all the makings of something where you've got enough going on that you can sandbox it right so it's got uh a couple of different uh, pseudo-European or Gothic uh, entities. Uh, it's got some stuff that's kind of got some Far East influence. It's got your totally not uh, ancient Egypt uh, in the desert. So it's got a lot of great locales, none of which are like, you know, the 10,000-mile desert of, of, of the steppes of, of Galgjabar or something. Um, so it's something that you can... Embrace the entire setting, and 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 it's all interesting. You know, you can have an entire uh, adventure in one city if you want. Um, but it's got a lot of factional interplay, and because of the way it's set up, uh, it's actually relatively low population. So the players can really have an impact uh, in a way that being like you know two or three actors in a, in out of millions um, can't. 
right? I mean, the entire population of the setting is something like the population of Minnesota. Um, uh, so it, it's something where you really can uh, be a, a have an impact in the factional relations. And and you know, there's no good guys and bad guys. You could play anything you want. Um, there's there's realms, and they have interests. Um, and who's doing what to whom is reasonably well out there. So I feel like it's a great thing where you could sail away from your existing campaign, uh, sail up to Cedra, interact with things, have some great adventures, some of which can be made for you, some of which you can do by yourself. Um, and it's got enough to, to hang a, a lot of adventure on, but it's not like, you know, it's it's the other thing, and this is the whole concept of the infinite archipelago, as long as you've got a bit of ocean somewhere, you can plunk this down in the middle of it um, and, and have a new place to go if your campaign is feeling a little stale. Love it. All right. And uh, oh, go ahead. the reason why uh, we didn't have you when we first started the show and we've mentioned this a little bit, is that you make Viking shields, uh, and you went and got one to to show to the audience. Can we sure pull sure. out so, that Viking shield? Yeah, so this is this is my shield. I've been using it for a, a couple of years in class. Um, but uh, it is pretty authentic, um, and it weighs about six pounds. Um, it's uh, poplar. Uh, the planks are glued together with hide glue, faced and backed and edged with rawhide. Um, and it's rel relatively authentically constructed. You know, I cheated a little bit. Um, but uh, it's about the right size, half my height and weight um, for, for a real thing. And I've been using it in uh, some, some Viking sword and shield classes for the better part of a god longer than i want to say two years but we had COVID in there so i was doing uh so probably now like four years so this thing is uh the first uh really authentic shield that i ever made and it's still with me that's amazing and yeah so are you going to be offering those uh as part of this kickstarter too no 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 uh, a couple of reasons why one of them amusingly enough uh is it's cold outside these days and my I, I when I make these, I need the space to set up the tools and and stuff. And right now I've got a, a snowblower where uh, my uh, clamp array would be. Um, but but in general, um, the uh, you know I, I did the shield stuff uh, early on, and and it was one of those things I thought that again I thought that people might be thought that they were cool. I even offer I even make uh, I make practice swords too. So uh, this one is uh, an all wood, uh, wait, called a waster, but it's uh, you know the right size. But this one is actually interesting. This is my personal one. Uh, it's got a brass stock in 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 here, so it, it's more balanced. So this is a uh, this actually weighs the same as this. Which is my arms and armor? Uh, oh, cool! I call uh, my arms and armor. I call it the Schiffwald. It's a semi-custom. It's the blade is from one type of sword, and the grip is from their Schifford because 
I like the small, the Viking grip is, is sort of required and it has a, a hilt to the right size. Um, but it's actually hard to find Viking sword hilts that are not ahistorically long. Um, but this one is two and a half pounds. So this is like probably a pound, pound and a half. And that's fairly typical for this is made out of hickory. This is also made out of hickory, but because it's got brass in the hilt um, and lower blade, it's got a, a balance point, although not a percussion point, uh, a lot more similar to a real sword. So if you're training with wood, this makes a much better uh, sword simulator. Um, but you know, it's when when uh, when I get uh, when I get uh, uh, you know when writing and and running a game business, I need to take a step back and and uh, clear my head. I like to do woodworking. I love it. Thanks for showing us that. It's always sure. cool to see that. Yeah. Oh, and here's a scabbard that I'm making. This is my very first scabbard. Um, it's too thick. Oh, and the really uh, and the glue that I used to for the linen covering is coming off, which is because it's some modern glue. Ancient glues don't fail. Ancient glues last a thousand <laughs> years. Modern glues break. Um, but at some point, I will wrap this in leather. Um, my first try at cutting the leather wrapping. Uh, didn't work quite as well as I like, so I need to try it again. I just need some time. Um, but once I once I do it, I'll stitch it together, and uh, you know it's got a wool lining and fits and all that stuff. And then I'll uh, that'll be my version one. But uh, you know, awesome. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, do you have anything? Uh, any last words before? Uh... We, we sign up. You know, I, I, I would truly appreciate um, your pledge to, to OSC Cedra. Um, actually, I have one other thing that I want to say after that. But the OSC Cedra needs about 20 people to fund. It's a great setting. David did a great job. Uh, it's not, I don't find it overwritten at all. Uh, you know, it's got just enough. It's got all the meat you'd want without a lot of blah, 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 blah. Uh, interesting characters, great factions. Glenn Seal of uh, uh, Monkey Blood did the maps for me. Uh, he, he and I have been working together for years now. Um, he does fantastic work. Uh, the art team um, for both character sketches and uh, visualization and, and images, illustrations did good. So they're they're really nice. Um, you know, the the cover artist not really did quite well this the, uh, especially this this thing. So it's a good project. It will be ready quite quickly. Uh, I, I think just you know, if 20 people come by um, and 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 pledge at the typical rates that they've been doing, um, you know, and and if you're if you know, I've got what six or eight different old school essentials books um, that are available all at once, and and so I would truly appreciate the pledges because um, I could use them, and it would really, uh, you know, 20 will get me funded, 200 would be spectacular um, because that would really kickstart. 2024 and i've got a lot planned um you know expansion to elazar and 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 more uh one last thing um uh, steve jackson games has a bundle of holding uh going for like everything in the dungeon fantasy role-playing game in the pdf space um if you get the biggest bundle it works out to be like 75 to 85 percent off it's crazy good um but in combination with that i put all 19, technically 20 if you count the Portuguese one, 
um, PDFs that I have on uh, my Shopify site, gaming-ballistic.myshopify.com. All the PDFs are 50% off and all the physical or physical plus PDFs are 25% off. Uh, and that runs for the next month. So if you're into Dungeon Fantasy role-playing game or think you might be, this is the time to get the PDFs from, from the bundle of holding. Um, and if you want a fully worked setting with tons of adventures and extra materials and, and, you know, one of the things that they say about GURPS is it's hard to get into. Well, I've got a set of four books uh, called Delvers to Grow, which does 62, 125, and 187 point characters. Um, and I once for a convention put together 30 pre-gen characters in five hours, which sounds like a lot, except if you do the math, that's 10 minutes a piece for a fully fleshed out GURPS character. Um, so it's fast. It's TFT fast. It's OF OSE fast. It's a, a modular design without losing any choices. Um, you know, I've got hell, I've got 320 pages of full color monster manuals on sale, uh, at five different adventures of various point values that go up to 128 pages. Nordvorn is a mini setting. Um, so I've got a lot of great material for that at a really substantial discount. Um, so uh, even if you don't decide that you want to go pledge for kick, uh, for Cedra, but you should, um, you can check out the DFRPG bundle of holding and my uh, sale uh, at my website. So um, that is what I'll end with. Okay. Wow, great talking to you. Uh, that's, that's pretty much all I, I have to say. Uh, glad you could make it back to the show. Oh, and, thanks uh, for the invite. And I know that it can be other quick, but... Uh, I appreciate the time. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, best of luck with that Kickstarter. Can't wait to see what you're doing in 2024. Thank you. Yeah. I, I regret that we didn't have you back on sooner. Um, so thanks for agreeing to come on. Uh, and I really hope your uh, Kickstarter goes, uh, goes well. Um, and we appreciate you coming on to talk about it. Uh, Thank you. So, Let's just say uh, I thank everyone who is listening live, and I want to thank everyone who will listen later. Uh, this has been Geek Gab for Monday, December 11th, 2023. We're available on YouTube.com slash Geek Gab. Once again, that's YouTube.com slash Geek Gab. Or you can get us on SoundCloud.com, on the Google Play Store, or on the Apple iTunes Store. Just do a search for Geek Gab. And uh, you can find us to download to the device of your choice, save us to your computer, or listen to us on the web. We are available all those places just for you. Folks, we are signing out for today, but don't you worry. Don't you fret. We will be back.